I want to share with you some things today. Um, originally, we would have been talking in, in the Sermon on the Mount on the section where, where Jesus gets talking about oaths. Um, and we're not going to make it there today uh, because I want to revisit the passage that we talked about last week for a few reasons. Uh, first of all, um, just to share my heart. In 2 Timothy, it says this, um, chapter 2, verse 15 says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. I want you to know, um, actually, uh, I'm on Twitter, and uh, uh, this morning, um, I wasn't a commercial for you to follow me or anything, it's just letting you know. But this morning at 8 o'clock, into my Twitter account, which comes up on my Facebook, just said, uh, five years ago, to that exact time, uh, I was supposed to learn to dismiss kids. Give me a break. Uh, Okay. If you are kindergarten through third grade, get out, okay? (laughs) Sorry. Uh, But five years ago, uh, I uh, got in my van, and a friend of mine named Jay uh, got in the van with me, and another friend named Chad got in a truck behind us, and we left Simi Valley <clears throat> at 5 a.m., so 8 a.m. Uh, our time, to drive to Columbus, Ohio, uh, to plant Cornerstone Community Church. And so, uh, yeah, so um, this is kind of a cool day for me. Um, so thankful for that, and, and more glad now than, than I was then. And <clears throat> I mean, see... Even more glad now than I was then, okay? I uh, was so excited then, but even so much more glad now. But, but I share that because, guys, I want you to know my heart uh, really is to be faithful to this passage that I just read. I want to rightly handle God's Word. I don't want to just get up here and, and give opinions. I don't want to just give up, get up here and, 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 and talk. Um, I want to be faithful to the Word of God, okay? And, uh, and that's one of the reasons I want to revisit <clears throat> the passage last week. If you remember, uh, I talked about last week, we talked about divorce last week, and uh, if you weren't here. And, and, and in, the, in the message towards the beginning, of it, I mentioned that there are four views that are taught by the church even, uh, four differing views, and, and one of them is uh, the divorce and remarriage, just to really simplify it. Divorce and remarriage are always permissible, um, another one would be that divorce is, is permissible under some circumstances and remarriage is permissible <clears throat> under some circumstances. Uh, a third would be that divorce is permissible uh, under some circumstances and remarriage is never permissible. And then the fourth would be that divorce is never permitted and remarriage is never permitted. And uh, I also mentioned, I'm going to keep this close. I also mentioned that there's um, there's only one possible biblical view, right? Right. There can only be one biblical view. There can only be one view that the Bible supports. The Bible can't support uh, that divorce and remarriage are sometimes permissible and divorce and remarriage are never permissible. That's impossible, right? The Bible has one view and there may be differing opinions on it, but it only has one view. And so. My desire is that we would be biblical. And, and, and in my preaching, I want to rightly handle God's word. And I want to 
teach it in a way that is accurate, okay? Um, and so when it comes to this, I want to be right. Uh, I want to handle uh, God's word accurately and, and rightly. And, and, and because of that, I think we need to revisit some things. I want to talk about some things that we did cover last week, and I want to talk about some things that we didn't cover <clears throat> last week, okay? And so uh, just to read the, the two verses again from Matthew 5. <clears throat> Verses 31 and 32, let's stand up and uh, just in honor of the Lord's word and Matthew 5 verses 31 and 32. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery. Whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that your word is true. And just as Jesus prayed, I pray that you would sanctify us by the truth. God, help us to know your desire. Help us to know your will. Help us to know your ways and to treasure you so much that we will run after your ways. Pray that for myself. Pray that for these people here. And pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Go and have a seat. Well, if you remember uh, last week, one of the things that we talked about and uh, the the position that, that really I was taking was um, that it seemed like Jesus in this passage is talking about not the actual marriage covenant, but the idea of betrothal, uh, where in, the, um, in, 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 in these days, uh, just like Mary and Joseph were betrothed to each other, and yet they were considered husband and wife. They weren't really married, but they were considered husband and wife. Uh, and it would have literally been a divorce process for um, Joseph to separate from mary when 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 they found out that she was pregnant and probably you know there's rumors starting around them but definitely joseph is thinking i didn't do this right and so um there's these kind of whisperings that 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 may be going on but certainly with joseph he was going to because he was a just man and didn't want to put her to shame divorce her quietly but that was just betrothal that wasn't officially marriage but it was a serious thing and so um, as I talked about last week, I said, you know, I, I really I feel like <clears throat> because of different texts and things um, that this is talking about betrothal here. And and uh, and the reason I want to revisit this, first of all, <clears throat> is because I want to confess to you um, that I think I was wrong. Uh, and I want to be a pastor that just is honest with you. OK, uh, if I preach something and, and, and then as I study it more and more, the Lord reveals that to me uh, differently. Um, I just want to be honest with that. As I study God's word, um, I'm growing. And and uh, and so um, I, my desire was to preach on oaths this morning. Um, but I just I, I want to revisit this to to honestly look at things. And, and as I <clears throat> went back through um, this week, there were some questions that came up um, from some people as well as uh, in my own heart, just reading through and talking to a couple people. Um, and as I've restudied the passage more and more and more, uh, I, I want to give some light, okay, on 
on what I do think that Scripture is teaching here, okay? And so, a couple of things um, from the passage. Uh, One of the reasons I think that I was wrong um, is because Jesus is referring back to, not just here, but in Matthew 19 and in Mark, as well as in Luke, um, a passage in Deuteronomy. We talked about that last week, Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 through 4. Uh, Let's read that um, again, just in case you forget what the law was teaching there, or saying there. Deuteronomy 24, and this is in Matthew 19, this is um, what the Pharisees come and ask Jesus about, was this text here, okay? It says, when a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house and she departs out of his house. And if she goes and becomes another man's wife and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house. Or if the latter man dies, who took her to be his wife, then her former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled for that is an abomination before the Lord. You shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. Um, so the, the, the verse one is, is really what the Pharisees are, are mentioning because they in uh, in Jesus talking to them about it. They say, why did Moses allow or, or command us to give a certificate of divorce? And so verse tw- uh, verse one of chapter 24, when a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her. And he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand. That's what they're referring back to, okay? Um, now, here's the issue. Uh, as, as I've, as I've kind of dwelled on this more and more and more, um, the passage that Jesus is referring back to and the Pharisees are referring back to does not have anything to do with betrothal. It has everything to do with marriage, okay? Um, so to be fair to the passage and to be fair with, with what Jesus is saying, he's talking about a text that's talking about marriage. It has nothing to do with betrothal, okay? And so to take that and then change it and say that it is referring to betrothal is a tough, tough, tough fit, okay? Um, and, and, and so when, when Jesus is referencing back both here, uh, Matthew chapter 19, The Pharisees came to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. That's still so important to this conversation. Okay, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, why then? Did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another commits (coughs) adultery. So in both of these, as well as in Mark, he's referring back to um, this Deuteronomy passage, which is not talking about betrothal. And so uh, that's a tough um, connection to then take Matthew and say, well, Jesus stopped talking about marriage and started talking about betrothal. That's a tough, um, tough fit. Okay. 
The second reason um, that I talked about last last week <clears throat> was because Matthew's the only um, passage. Uh, both Matthew five and Matthew nineteen talk about there being this exception, right? Uh, except on the grounds of sexual immorality. If anyone divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality and, and, and marries another, uh, they commit adultery. Or if, if they uh, divorce their wife, except on the grounds of uh, sexual immorality, they cause her to commit adultery because she would have to be remarried in that culture especially, uh, which would be causing her to commit um, adultery. Okay, And so... Um, Matthew, both 5 and 19, are the only texts that refer to that exception. And so uh, that's where in, in studying, and I refer to, to John Piper's studies on that, uh, the question mark comes up, why? Why did he not refer to that in Mark? Why did he not refer to that in Luke? And if he didn't in those two places, then there must be some reason that he only did in Matthew. And so let's look for that reason. Um, I think that is probably very unfair studying. Um, and here's why. Because uh, we don't do that with other things. Uh, in Malachi 2, verse um, 16, God says, I hate divorce. It's the only time he says it, right? I hate it. He never says it anywhere else. And so we don't take it and change that and say, well, he must, he must not really hate it. We, must, we need to evaluate that and find out, did he really hate it or did he just say it there because he was in a bad mood or whatever? We don't do that with other passages. And, and in fact, uh, I was talking to Michael about this, and, and, and he mentioned, if you look at Luke, the account of the Sermon on the Mount, which is this long section, this sermon that we're going through uh, right now, this series that we're going through, the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus taught from chapter 5 through chapter 7 of Matthew Luke's account is very short, very short of the Sermon on the Mount. So we don't then take uh, what's taught in Matthew. And, and since Luke's account of the Sermon on the Mount is, is, is only a few verses, we don't take the Sermon on the Mount and say, well, we need to evaluate. Did, did Jesus really want us to be um, pure in heart and peacemakers? And did he really think that it, we would be blessed if we were persecuted and and all this bit about anger, why is he talking about, why is anger bad and, and lust, you know, that's a big struggle. So maybe he didn't really mean that we couldn't lust. Maybe he didn't, we don't do that with other passages. And so it's certainly unfair studying to just say because he only mentions it in Matthew 5 and Matthew 9 <clears throat> to attach that then and say, um, since he doesn't mention it in Mark and Luke, he must not mean it the same here okay uh, i hope that's making sense um, we don't do that with other things and, and and god really only needs to say something once if he says it once he's god and we need to we need to take that as god saying something right um and and so uh, here's the thing I, I i believe um from the text and as i've studied over and over and over uh god has lovingly and graciously allowed for divorce when adultery has taken place and that under those circumstances, remarriage is permissible. And here's the, here's the reason I come to that. Because um, the exception, if I can call it that, he says accept, right? The exception uh, on the grounds of sexual morality makes her commit adultery has to be attached to the remarriage, not to the divorce. Um, because you don't commit adultery when you get divorced. You only commit adultery when you get remarried. So that exception would have to be attached to the remarriage part, not 
the divorce part, okay? Um, I know this is like a little bit more scattered than normal this morning, but I, I, I want to be clear on these things that we teach up here, okay? Um, and so uh, to, to say that again, I, I think as I'm studying back through it, I believe that God has lovingly and graciously allowed for divorce when adultery has taken place and that under those circumstances, remarriage is permitted. Now here uh, is, is some things that I, wanna, I want to comment on and caution us on uh, from that, okay? Um, a couple of things. First of all, this is, this is God's gracious permission, okay? Uh, when you look at it in, in the Old Testament, when, when Moses um, gave certificates of divorce or, or commanded the husband to give a certificate of divorce, um, that was God's uh, gracious permission because of, as Jesus says in, in Matthew 19, also in Mark, um, because of the hardness of our hearts, uh, that's not a good thing like we talked about last week. And what we've done as the church, and this is really um, why my desire has been, and let me just say this, my, my desire has been to be strict on this, okay? Um, from my heart, that's been my desire, right? And, and, and as I preach, as I see what God commands, uh, I want to be strict with God's law. Uh, not that there's no grace, don't hear me wrong, but if God tells me that... Um, uh, for instance, if if uh, if I'm angry with my brother that I'm in danger of going to hell, um, I want to be strict with that. I want to fight anger with everything I have. OK, uh, in that next section, when 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 Jesus says, if I'm not just committing the act of adultery, but if I'm lusting after another woman in my heart, then I'm in danger of going to hell. And we talked about that a couple weeks ago. And, and uh, you can listen to those if you want to online. But um, when he says that, that makes me want to fight lust with everything I have and not look for permission around it. I just I want to fight that. And when my preach when I preach those things, then I want to preach that as this is black and this is white. And we just do what God has commanded us to do. We just do it because he's God and we're his servants. It's not, it's not backwards, okay? Uh, but my caution in this has been uh, if, if, if my teaching on certain areas, most areas is you just do it. I mean, you just obey and you just stick with it. And, and it's, it's, it's a hard line of obedience um, with grace as the reason. For that obedience, um, then really the result in me and in you is just purity. Okay, but when it comes to this, um, if if Jesus is saying there is an exception. Then it can cause um, hurt, not just purity. Okay, Uh, it it can be dangerous in certain circumstances when a woman is a victim of something that happened. Um, it can cause hurt, not just encouragement and more purity, if that makes sense. And so um, as I go through these cautions, I, I, want, I want you to understand why we're revisiting this uh, completely. This is God's gracious permission. And I think what we've done as the church, and, and certainly we see that in the Pharisees here, is we've taken God's grace and permission because of sin and because of how we have responded to his law from the very beginning and what we've done is we've changed the word permission into pursuing. 
And now we have a church, not just here, I'm talking about the church in America, whose numbers of divorce are identical to the world. There are no difference. There is no difference in statistics between those who are divorced outside of the church and those who are divorced in the church. One out of every two marriages, whether they're in the church or out of the church, will end in divorce. It's horrible. It's not it's it's not excusable. Okay, and and so what we've done, I think, is taken Jesus words and we've seen this exception, this little crack where God has been gracious and we've kind of put our fingers in and tried to pull it as big as possible. And, 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 and just like the Pharisees who came to Jesus and said, is it OK for for someone to get divorced for any cause? We have taken the Pharisees' ideas of God's law and made them our ideas. And so for any reason, we will look for a way out. And that is not what is happening here. This is God's gracious permission in certain circumstances. And we're not looking or pursuing a way out. God uh, never, never condones divorce. Never. Malachi 2 is clear. He hates it. He hates it. Even in these circumstances of sexual immorality where where the husband has has cheated or or left the wife for another person, he hates it. He hates it. And so we don't pursue things that God hates. We don't even we don't even look to 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 be a part of things that God hates. It's as a follower of Christ, we want that so far from our thinking. And one of the things that I encourage couples as, as we're going through counseling is that it's not even a word. It's just not something that comes up. It's never, ever something that we mention in our marriage. Uh, my wife and I will be married for 15 years next month. It's never been spoken. And we have had a perfect marriage. We've, we've actually fought before. Yeah. So maybe we're different that way, right? We've actually fought. We've never, it's never even been considered. It's just not an option. Why? Because of the purpose of marriage. The purpose of marriage is not to make me happy. It's not. It's not to make you happy. That's a byproduct and it's wonderful. It's a great thing. Marriage is a wonderful thing, but that's not the ultimate purpose. We talked about the purpose of marriage last week. We are to be a picture of Christ and the church. And we went through that definition of what marriage is. It's a, it's a purposeful union between one man and one woman that exists for God's glory as a picture of the covenant between Christ and his bride, the church. And so if we as a follower of Christ want to present Christ to the world in a way that glorifies Christ and not ourselves, if we want to live and follow Christ in a way that shows people what he really is like, then we want to honor and we want to fight. We want to fight to be that picture of a covenant between Christ and the church that never, ever, ever, ever breaks, never breaks. Jesus said that that he holds his sheep in his hand and no one can snatch them out. In John chapter 10, no one can snatch them out of my hand. 
no one. Not you and not anyone else. It's that beautiful covenant relationship of Christ just holding us with his strength, not ours. If it was our strength, we would have been gone a long time ago. But it's his strength where he holds us. And we want to we be a picture. We have, if, if you're married, you're married to be a picture to the world of that covenant relationship between Christ and the church. And, 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 and in that, I want to suggest something that I actually meant to talk about last week. And didn't get uh, get to it, um, guys. If you are a believer in Christ and you're married, it's not even an option for you. Not even an option. And in fact, in Jesus' teaching, um, I don't see it as an option in there either. I mean, he he doesn't. It's always this picture of of this wife who has been cheated on, right? Uh, and the reason I say I don't think it's an option for you at all is because of Hosea. Now, I'm not going to go through the whole book of Hosea, but you need to read it um, just to confirm that what I'm telling you is true. Uh, there's this Old Testament prophet named Hosea, and God told him to marry this woman. Her name was Gomer. Okay? You've got it really good. All right? Uh, I don't care what your problems are. You didn't marry someone named Gomer. Okay? Um, God told him, go and marry Gomer. Gomer was a prostitute. And she liked what she did. There was no remorse. There was no repentance. There was nothing. God told him, go marry her. He marries her. They're married. She leaves. God says this is going to happen. She leaves and goes back to this business of prostitution. No repentance. No remorse. Nothing. What did God say to Hosea? Did he say, I'm sorry. I didn't see that coming. You're free. Just walk away. Just get away. I mean, she's totally broken. He didn't say that. He said, go get your wife and bring her back. Clean her up. She's your bride. She's your wife. And as a picture, as a picture, just like we're supposed to be a picture, as a picture to Israel of what God did with them and how he treated them, Hosea went and got his wife back who was unrepentant. And took her as his wife. There's your example, guys. That's what Christ does for us. And you're called to be that. In Ephesians 5, you're called to love your wife as Christ loved the church. And gave himself up for her. That's your picture. I don't get from that that there's even an option for you. And again, we talked about last week. Doesn't that then encourage impurity and 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 faithfulness in the bride then if you're saying that 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 the husband doesn't even have the choice i'm just saying as a follower of christ you shouldn't even give yourself the choice because we don't we're not certainly not given that picture here but but again just as i said last week just like the last text talks about in 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 verses 27 through 30 of matthew 5 if we are careless and desiring and pursuing and, and, and contemplating on and having this lustful intent, even in our heart, then we've committed adultery in our heart. And, and what Christ says is literally you are in danger of going to hell. So if that doesn't matter to your believing wife. I don't know what will But the picture we get from Hosea is even in that picture, go and get your wife and love her as Christ loves the church. 
serve her and, and, and care for her. And, and, and read Ephesians 5 and get this picture. Guys, we're so tempted and, and, and want to, to read Ephesians 5 and just, just hone in on that. Wives, submit to your husbands. You've memorized it. You knew what I was going to say as soon as I said wives. Half of you are like, submit to your husbands. You're leaning in close and you're thinking that. Guys, they got the better end of the deal. (laughs) Because what it says is, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up to her. That's what you're called to do. And, And even in marriage, when things get hard and difficult... Just like Hosea, you go after your wife. She's your bride. She's the picture to the world of Christ's relationship to the church. And you have that incredible, incredible opportunity to flesh that out in, in front of people. The, the other question that came out is, um, what about in circumstances of abuse? Uh, that's a real question. And, 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 um, I want to I want to respond um, first with this. That was a real issue when Jesus talked about this too. Okay, that's not like a uh, something that kind of hit and became popular in 2000. Um, that was an issue here, and and Jesus doesn't mention it. Okay, uh, my counsel uh, for that circumstance for for that woman would be separation. Um, separate from from your husband. Get away from him. And literally, if you need to call the cops and have him arrested, do it. I don't know if you know this, but it's against the law for him to punch you. Um, it's against the law, and he can be arrested for that. That's not being ungodly. Um, that's just not getting beat up anymore, okay? And, and so my, my encouragement would be call the cops and separate from yourself literally um, and pray 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 that God will use that to change his heart. Uh, because I don't believe he's a believer. Uh, he may say that he is, but if he consistently is, is, is beating his wife, I just, there's a fruit situation there that I struggle with, right? Um, where Jesus says, by your fruit, uh, it'll be obvious what you are. Uh, a fig tree can't produce oranges, right? And so um, pray for him that God will change his heart and save him. And that through even that situation, um, that, that God will intervene and, and transform his life. Uh, through all of this, guys, um, we need God's spirit. We need the Holy Spirit in us. And, and that's, you know, that's what's so beautiful about the video last week with, with Bob and Katie and, and their honesty. And, you know, so many, and, and, and she says this in the video, so many Christians came to her and said, this is, this is your way out. And, and uh, I think, what was it? This is your get-out-of-jail-free card, Right. Um, this is it. I mean, this is your chance. Get away from him. Go. And um, the beauty is that there was this picture of faithfulness, uh, just like Christ is faithful to us when we sin. That's the beauty of that. And and you could hear in her words as she shared in the video this the sense of I just I didn't. It's just I never got peace that that's what God was leading me to do. And so it's this walking by the spirit in the midst of difficulty who gives us strength in those things and we need god's spirit to be leading us and and that's what's so beautiful is is with with katie she 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 followed god and and she believed god and she stayed um and we get to see this beautiful picture of 
of restoration in the midst of that, right? I want to go to another passage um, to, to finish up. Ephesians chapter 1. But I think, because I think in this and in um, even the last two passages we've looked at, this is incredibly important. Verses 3 through 10. Because there were some there were some questions that came up um, from both sides. Some that said, "I totally agree with you," um, but what about this, this, and this? And and some that um, came uh, that didn't agree with the stand last week, um, and uh, which I'm thankful for both of those because uh, God kept me in this passage to continue to work on me through it. Um, but certainly in the midst of that, um, certainly there can be hurt, there can be confusion, there can be um, all of these things that can come from it. And that's why I want to I spend a, a few minutes on this passage here, okay? Uh, verses 3 through 10, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Now, what in the world does this have to do uh, with divorce? Um, here's the thing. Um, Guys, your justification, your right standing before God has everything to do with one event. Um, it, it has to do with, with things that are mentioned in here. And, and just to go through some of the things that, that God chose you. And it says that not only did he choose you, but before the foundations of the world. So get that picture, okay? Before Christ spoke and the earth was created and people were created and, and, and water was created and sun and stars and trees and all of the animals and everything. It says before the foundation of the world, God chose us. Going on in that verse four, it says that we should be holy and blameless. That, that idea from, from Romans and Galatians that we have been credited, we have been a given into our account Christ's righteousness, not our own. When God looks at us, if we are in Christ, if we are a follower of Christ, when God looks at us, he doesn't see the righteousness of Tony or he doesn't see the righteousness of any of you. He sees the righteousness of Christ, which is pretty good. And so what verse four is says is, um, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us in love for adoption, that he would adopt us as his very own children according to the purpose of his will. 
Verse 7, in him we have redemption. We have been bought out. We have been purchased through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Guys, your justification, your right standing with God has everything to do with this. The blood of Christ redeeming you, buying you out of your sin. It has nothing to do with divorce. It has nothing to do with lust. It has nothing to do with anger. You're you're right standing before God, I'm saying. Okay, that's justification. That's your right standing before God. These issues that we're talking about are sanctification. Christ's process of making us more and more and more and more and more and more and more into the image of himself. That's sanctification. That's where we begin to follow Christ and and we're not like Christ. In God's sight, we have been credited with his righteousness, but we are not living like we are Christ. God has graciously accounted or, or put into our account Christ's righteousness and forgiven us, cleaned us of all of our sin. That's because of his graciousness. It's because of his mercy. That's because he loved us and predestined us. It's because of him. Not because of these issues. These issues are important and they can reveal justification issues. They can reveal whether or not we're saved. They can reveal in us if we are continually unrepentant in the area of anger or unrepentant in the area of lust or unrepentant in the area of divorce and remarriage. It can reveal a lot about whether or not we are in right standing with God. But our salvation, our cleanness, our forgiveness, our our redemption is because of Christ. Not because of these things we've just talked about. Those are sanctification issues, not justification issues. And, and I want you to make sure you know that. That you know that you're right standing. These things are incredibly important. And we're going to talk about some verses that, that show us that in a second. But you have to know that your right standing before God is done if you're a follower of Christ. It's done. And we ought to be so thankful. We ought to be so thankful That even when God reveals to us through his word where we fall short of his glory and his image and and his perfections, that we are still right in God's eyes because of Christ, not because of ourselves. And that we can be glad and rejoice that his grace is sufficient to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We've got to rejoice in that. And, and I know these things can stir up concerns. And certainly there's this concern of, of, of was I forgiven of this? Or, or am I forgiven of, of, of this lust? Am I forgiven of this anger? Am I forgiven from this divorce? Am I forgiven? Guys, God is gracious. And Christ's blood saves us, redeems us, completely cleans us of all unrighteousness. That's where our justification, that's where our right standing comes from, is Christ. And what he accomplished, which we could never accomplish. These other issues are sanctification issues. Now, they're incredibly important. 
if we're saved, if we are righteous in, in God's eyes, then, then we're called to walk in obedience and righteousness. In fact, 1 Corinthians is such a great picture of that. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. This is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. He says this, Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened for Christ. Our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. It's a weird picture, right? What he says is you got this leaven. Okay. Just think uh, dough. Okay. Uh, and you have this leaven in here, right? In this dough, in this ball, this glob of dough. Picture yourself that way. Okay. You're this glob of dough. Okay. And in it, he says, there's leaven. We'll cleanse out the leaven. Get rid of it. Get rid of that. So that you'll be a new clean lump of dough. But then he says this, as you already are unleavened. So, so think of it this way, you and sin, okay? Cleanse the sin out of you. Repent from it. Turn away from it. As Acts 3 says, um, repent therefore and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and he's just to forgive you of all your sins and cleanse you of all, cleanse you of all unrighteousness. So get rid of that sin inside of you. But just using those words, Paul's saying, as you already are. So cleanse yourself of those. Repent of those sins. Be washed by Christ to be clean and pure as you already are. That's what God has made you through Christ. So live that way. Be that way. Romans 6 verse 1 says, are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? God showed us this incredible grace, right? Grace that surpasses our understanding. Grace that forgives us of our sins. Grace that no matter what we have done, we'll say you're clean in Christ. So Paul says in in Romans 6, are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? So we can show the grace of God more and more and more. If I keep sinning, then God's grace is just going to look really, really good. Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? By no means. No way, he says. How can you who have been, uh, who have died to Christ, died to sin? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? We can't. If you have died to something, you can't live in that anymore. It's dead. It's gone. And so our pursuit in sanctification as God continues to grow us and change us is God. We want to pursue God. We want to pursue his law. We want to pursue his ways. We want to pursue what he has called us to do. Because we want to be like Christ as we are in God's eyes. And so these are huge, huge issues. But you have to know under all of it, your salvation comes from Christ. And your right standing comes from Christ and from him alone. And if you're trying to get a right standing before God by not being so angry and by not lusting as much as you used to and by not getting a divorce, you will fall short. You will fall short. You'll fall on your face because your righteousness cannot compare to the righteousness of Christ. And you need that cleansing underneath. You need that forgiveness. You need that transformation that can only come from coming and giving yourself and following Christ. 
And then we pursue him and seek him. And so we, we strive to get rid of anger, as Matthew 5 says, and to not lust, as Matthew 5 says, and to have a marriage that is a picture of Christ and the church where we endure because of love's sake, because of Christ's sake, we endure difficulty, we endure fighting, we endure even very difficult things like immorality. We endure those things for the cause of Christ. And we fight for Christ, not for our own way. Guys, I just want to I want to go to the Lord, but um, I want to challenge you if if um, if you have been convicted over these last weeks or challenged over these last weeks as we've talked through these things. But it's in that area of I need to be more right so that I can make it to heaven um, that you would consider scripture that says where Jesus says, if you're going to. If you're going to come after me, you have to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. And that there's no one righteous, not even one. No one is good enough to get to God. But that God gave his son so that you might have a chance through him of being reconciled to God. That you would believe and trust that his payment, that his sacrifice was enough to cleanse you and forgive you of no matter what you've done. That, that his sacrifice, his payment was enough to do that on the cross. And that it's really just coming to him and throwing ourselves before him and saying, not this little prayer of I want you to be in my heart or, or God please save me and, and, and let me go to heaven. But God, I want you. I want you, I believe you, and I want to follow you. And, and if you've been hoping and just desiring that these, these little adjustments that we've talked about, this dealing with anger or dealing with lust or dealing with whatever it is, that those things now, if I can just change those, then I'm going to be saved. It's not biblical. Those are sanctification issues that only God can do through us as we have already come to him. When we've come to Christ and given ourselves to him and he puts his Holy Spirit inside of us, then it's possible for him to change us and transform us into the likeness of his son. So I'm going to pray. We're going to sing a song. Um, if you need to pray with someone, please do that today. OK, I would love to talk to you, pray with you afterwards. Um, if you never genuinely given your life to Christ, do that because there's no way, no way you are going to please him or make it to him on your own. It's impossible to please God apart from Christ through faith. OK, let me pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace, Lord. God, thank you for your word. Um, and God, I just confess to you again. Um, I want to study it. I, I want to to be faithful to it. I want to handle it accurately God and I confess even in front of these people that you have said in James um, not many should be teachers because they will be judged more strictly and so God thank you for your word that is always true and faithful and God would you stir in me and in others here to pursue it with their very lives I pray that they would give everything to know your word that they would not treat it carelessly, that I would not treat it carelessly, but fighting 
to know you, God, desiring to know you. And God, I know, I know that there are probably some here even right now who have been depending on their own abilities, God, to clean the outside of themselves so that they might look better for other people and might look better for you, God. And and I do think that these sermons reveal that, God. But God, would you draw people, would you shine in hearts, as your word says, Lord. If there's anyone here who has been depending on their own efforts to get to heaven, would you shine in their hearts and help them to see that they are completely hopeless, but that Christ has overcome death and the grave. And Christ, you have taken on yourself the punishment that is due us, the wrath of God that was intended for us. And Lord, you have said if we will deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow you, believing that you are God and that you are the Savior who has come into the world to redeem us from our sins, that you will forgive us, that you will fill us with your spirit, that you will clean us completely and that we will be in right standing before God. What a wonderful thought, Lord, to know that that those of us who are following you are in right standing, clean How wonderful it is, Lord, and how wonderful you are. You are so good to us. And we praise you for your word. We praise you for your son. We praise you for this time, God. And we want to honor you by singing to you, by giving, by giving our lives, Lord. Again, I pray if there's anyone here that you would, God, stir in them so powerfully that they cannot resist but would surrender to you today lord in jesus name amen